2: Hi,
1: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
3: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great one on this New Year's Eve Eve. Coming up uh, next hour, we'll have, it's, it's Wednesday, of course, so it's uh, Armchair Politics in the second and third hour uh, of our three-hour tour. It is a uh, two-hour Weekly roundtable looking at politics from local, state, national uh, headlines and current events, plus uh, quotes and uh, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. But today, we're going (laughs) to be... Kind of focusing on uh, 2020 in hindsight, which is kind of flipping the script there a little bit. But uh, during this first hour, something brand new, um, a book called Who's Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns, but geared toward young audiences. And uh, my guest this hour uh, has an English degree from Harvard University and uh, a Juris Doctorate from Yale Law School. She has worked for the United States Court of Appeals. Uh, for the Second Circuit, and uh, at a New York litigation firm, she now works in protect uh, to protect reproductive rights and access to reproductive health care. And yet, her first book is about the Second Amendment. Her name is uh, Hanna Bairamovich, and she joins me by phone. Hanna, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
3: Did I say your name?
1: Okay. You did perfectly, actually.
3: <laughs> good, good. I'm glad because I'm not typically very good with names, <laughs> and and uh, I, I was actually practicing both your first and your last name. But um, hopefully, we'll spend more time talking about your book than about your name. Um, <laughs> the the book, um, first of all, this is a, a somewhat, no pun intended, combative uh, topic. Um, Why gear it to young people?
1: So I think that's probably the first question I get asked. But um, it actually, it seems pretty straightforward to me because it's a problem that affects young people directly. Um, You know, there are school shooter drills. Kids pass through metal detectors on their way into classrooms. Many have to wear uh clear backpacks to school. It's a problem that faces young people every day. Um, the American Psychological Association recently released a report uh, that said something like 75% of Gen Z youth uh, report feeling stressed about uh, mass shootings or school shootings. Um, and so it's a problem that faces them all the time. And yet the existing literature on the topic was geared towards an adult audience. And so I thought um you know it would be good to put together sort of an all-in-one book that covers the history the politics uh and the policy around guns and gun uh, and gun advocacy and the second amendment for a for a younger audience 10 to 14
3: well let me ask this what what is the recommended age group for this uh for this book
1: so we have it listed for a 10 to 14 year old but I think you know it, it, even for older people um, adults it can it, it's still useful I think something that I really like about the book is that we put in a lot of charts and graphs and for me as a visual learner I find that to be useful even as an adult so even for folks who are older this might be a good way to enter enter the topic area
3: you keep saying older right? <laughs> you're making you're making me feel old.
1: Um, oh, I mean older than 10 to 14.
3: <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I'm just having a little fun with you. But how did how did you become interested in this particular subject? How did it land on your desk?
1: Sure. So it was actually a podcast that got me interested. Um, there's a podcast called More Perfect um, about the constitutional amendments, And their episode on the Second Amendment was very surprising and interesting to me. Um, you know, I had gone to law school, I felt like I was up on uh, the cases, and yet there was so much that surprised me about the history of the Second Amendment. Um, and that sort of sparked conversations and research and uh, and led to the book.
3: How did, how did it become so controversial?
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, so the Second Amendment uh, reads a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed but what you know the book shows and um is that for most of American history the focus was on that first half about the well-regulated militia and there actually wasn't much public debate around the second amendment legal scholarship on the second amendment didn't really blossom until the 60s and 70s and the issue didn't really become controversial until recently um until you know so these are one of this when i mentioned learning surprising things (laughs) Uh, about the Second Amendment. One of the things I learned that was surprising was the the change in the NRA over time, too. So the NRA started as sort of a sportsman's outdoor riflery organization and over time transformed into the political powerhouse we know today. Well, it's um, literally called the,
3: the National Rifle Association.
1: Right, right. Uh, yeah, and it was founded um after the civil war by two union soldiers who were upset about the marksmanship training that uh that northern soldiers displayed in the civil war they thought they needed more training and that's why they founded the NRA uh, actually on the lower east side of manhattan um and so over time the 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 NRA transformed from sort of this outdoors uh organization rifle organization to a political organization and they helped change the meaning of the Second Amendment or the public meaning of the Second Amendment to be about the individual right to bear arms, the second half of the amendment that I read uh, a little bit ago. Um, And so when that all changed, it changed also like in the courts, uh, the Supreme Court in 2008, in the case of District of Columbia versus Heller, held that it was an individual right. And that's when you really start to see sort of more controversial the Second Amendment become more controversial and more polarized and more partisan is after that big Supreme Court case in 2008.
3: And the the original uh, wording of the Second Amendment literally starts with the regulated militia, I, I believe, if I remember correctly. It's in order to maintain a well-regulated militia or something along those lines. Um, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I wish it said in order to because that would make it a clearer sentence. It's actually a run-on, uh, which is part of the confusion. Uh, it says a well-regulated, well, well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, gotcha. comma. The re- it's, so it's it's a little bit confusing.
3: But the but the militia is up front. I don't right. know that anybody has really defined what a rel- well-regulated militia was and and did one ever really exist have you did you define it in your book
1: yeah so the well-regulated militia were so you know uh, in the early days of the country um, they were today they find sort of their analog in the National Guard but it was all Uh, able-bodied white men ages 14 to 45, I believe. I think 14 to 45. In some places I've seen 14 to 60, I think, Um, but around there. And they could be called upon sort of at a moment's notice. And they were, you know, for that reason, they needed to have guns. Um, And the well-regulated bit refers to uh, the way the state would sort of check on (laughs) uh, those guns. So, for example, there were these things called musters, um, where state officials would come by and inspect every militia eligible man's gun. Um, and actually, that's where today's phrase to pass muster comes from, from those musters. Um, but they were sort of the militias were state level forces. Um, and so, you know, in the Constitution, it provides for both a militia and an army. And so the army is sort of like the federal analog, um, and, and the militias are the state level forces.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask what the difference between uh, the the newly described well-regulated militia was to George Washington's army.
1: Yeah, and I, it's actually interesting because it was a hot topic then, because they were coming from, you know, monarchy, and that's what they were rebelling against, and there was a lot of fear um, among uh, folks that, that the army, the federal army, could... Um, uh, could impose tyranny, right? Um, it was, you know, as opposed to what they saw as the more democratic uh, state-level militia. And so there's a there's a balance in the Constitution that you see between those two forces because of those anxieties um, that, you know, especially uh, around the time of constitutional ratification, you saw a lot of anxiety around federal power, um, and that was one of those battlegrounds.
3: To what degree have the uh, the the shootings of um, young black men by police played into the debate about the Second
1: Amendment? Yeah, so not. I mean, I think there's a really great piece in the Atlantic by Adam Thurwer where he talks about sort of the the hypocrisy um, on this topic, where when. You know, when unarmed black men are shot, um, the NRA says they should have been armed, and when armed black men are shot, the NRA says nothing. So I think there's a lot of uh, sort of hypocrisy here, and I think part of that is that, um, you know, the, the, the politics don't align on it, right? So the partisan issues we see around... Um, uh, around the Second Amendment, right? It's that the that the right is pro-guns and the left is um, pro-gun control, and so because that doesn't align with, you know, a lot of the politics around police brutality, uh, I don't think you—I think that's why you see a lot of contradictions in that area.
3: They are really two separate issues.
1: Right. Well, sort of. <laughs>
3: Well, but, but they are. We're talking about systemic racism and uh, you know oversight of of police officers or police procedures. and uh, you know um, and and then there's this whole other thing about whether or not you can own a tank.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting though about the history of the Second Amendment is the ways it overlaps with race historically. You know, a lot of gun control laws, um, uh, early laws were were aimed at, um, at black people. And also, uh, post-Civil War, the KKK was actually founded in part as a disarmament organization. Um, the KKK was meant to, um, or intended to take guns away from newly free black people after the Civil War um, because they wanted to prevent sort of uh, any uh, sort of uprising in black power. Um, and then I think you also see a lot of this in, um, in sort of the, the civil rights era. Um, so the, the actually one thing that the book talks about is the way the Black Panthers brought this um, individual rights interpretation of the Second Amendment to the forefront. So the Black Panthers were some of the first people to argue that the Second Amendment provided a individual right to bear arms not a militia right and so i think actually there is sort of a large overlap historically between uh race and gun rights
3: interesting i want to talk uh, some more about about this and and about some of the things that surprised you in that podcast you mentioned a little earlier um but i have to take a break here hana can you stick around for a few minutes and then we'll dig down some more sure. okay my guest is Hanna by uh, a Yale Law School trained uh, attorney with an English degree from Harvard University and a new book that's called Who's Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns. I keep wanting to say Whose right is it anyway, um, but, but we're going to take a short break and let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in and then we'll be right back
4: hello out there everybody it's me tigger ti double gur that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy
1: (laughs) i'm julie lopez with Crime Stoppers. have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous well here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and
5: Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous tip tab, where you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing
3: a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties... Make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public.
5: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with the author of a new book called Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns. Her name is uh, Hanna Bairamovich, and she joins me by phone. Hanna, welcome back, and thanks for uh, sticking around.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: Um, and sorry to make you sit through that, but it's just welcome to live radio. Um, the uh, We were talking in the last segment and you mentioned a podcast that kind of opened your eyes to the issue uh, or at least to some surprising things about the issue of um, uh, individuals' rights to bear arms under the Second Amendment. What were some of the things that surprised you the most and did you come across any surprises while researching and putting this book together? Sure. So I
1: think One of the big ones that I mentioned before the break was about the Black Panthers role in our current understanding of the second amendment and how they really did help bring to the forefront, this individual rights interpretation. Um, It's just something that I hadn't, I hadn't known at all. Um, I think also surprising to me was learning about uh, how the NRA itself transformed, um, which we alluded to earlier as well. Uh, So, you know, Starting in the '60s and through the '70s, um, there was a sort of an upswell uh, within the um, within the organization, the NRA, amongst what uh, were referred to as gun hardliners—folks who believed uh, strongly in the Second Amendment, individual right to bear arms—and um, you know, they, in 1977, uh, at an annual members' meeting revolted basically and took over the organization um, which was at that point planning to move out west uh, there were even rumors that it was going to change its name to the National Outdoor Organization
5: um,
1: and so those two things I think also sort of uh, surprising to me was how um, how un. Studied or untalked about the Second Amendment was for most of American history. It wasn't until I think 1965 that the first law journal piece was published on the amendment. Um, and before then and before then that's because it was you know, viewed as this militia right that was sort of not relevant to our understanding of, of uh, current gun rights in the country.
3: And when did uh, regulation of guns? begin. When did, you know, we? I, I have this picture, uh, Hannah, f- from when I was a kid watching old westerns that, you know, everybody had a gun and nobody really thought much about it. Once in a while you'd see a sign on a saloon, check your guns at the door, but there there really wasn't a sense of, of any kind of regulation about what kind of guns, how many guns a person could own. When did did that start and, and how?
1: Um- So that started from before the Constitution was even written. Um, That was another really, and I'm glad you brought it up, because it was a super surprising thing I learned in my research, uh, was how many gun regulations there were and how, uh, how early they started. I mean, they started from the inception of the country. And you mentioned the Wild West, and something that was also shocking from my research was that the Wild West had some of the strictest gun laws around, at least in the city areas. Um, you know, there were cities where you would go if you went into into the western town, you would have to check your gun at the police station for a token, not at a saloon, but just in the whole town, like a coat check. Uh, and then you could get it once you left town. Um, and I mean, not just those sorts of regulations, but there were regulations of all sorts. There were safe storage laws, like laws about where gunpowder could and couldn't be stored. Um there were concealed carry laws there were all sorts of laws and there are two scholars um mark Anthony Frassetto and Robert Spitzer, who have uh, they, they both write uh extensively cataloging um these laws there there are hundreds of them it's, it's actually super interesting
3: you mentioned in the in the first segment about the n r a and how it um Evolved and and changed in nature without being as as specific as shifting their fight from the federal government to the state legislatures. Um, But how did they, how and when did they become so incredibly powerful, one of the most powerful lobbies in Washington and and in state capitals? Um, But how has it changed in in the last few years,
1: sure. So I think they had a lot of very uh, clever strategies. Um, so starting in sort of around you know 1977, when their their strategy focused to be more political, um, they 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 really focused on state legislatures uh, and. You know, worked at the state level to to change gun laws. uh, Perhaps not in the most intuitive ways, but in ways that wound up being really um, uh, effective in the long term. And one example I can give is what's known as preemption laws. So preemption law is when like a a larger body, like a state, passes a law that uh, preempts. Um, any laws from a a smaller body like a like a city or a municipality and so the nra pushed for uh, uh, preemption laws uh, across the states because they they sort of took advantage of um, you know a difference in city versus state politics so you know in cities which tend to be more liberal and which tend to have fewer uh, gun owners um, there is more support for gun control and then rurally and across the the rest of the state there tends to be more support for gun rights and so at state legislatures you often uh, you often have a more sort of uh, pro gun right body rather than the the, city the city let the split city legislatures or rulemaking bodies and so when they passed these preemption laws what they were able to do is have states say okay if a city passes a gun control law uh, we're preempting that. Like, we as a state are preventing that from happening. And so those were, that was one of sort of the many uh, state-level actions they took that wound up being very effective. Um, and so I think that's part of, of how they built up their power to, to sort of get back to your question. And then another thing that, that my research uh, revealed was they adopted what is known as, or, or a strategy known as uh, the hassle factor, uh, which is this idea that if you make it very, very costly and difficult for politicians to oppose you, uh, you prevent them from doing so. So you know, for example, if a politician does not support uh, an NRA-backed bill, uh, you, the NRA would get its members to write them letters to call their offices they would put up billboards uh, and essentially ensure that that person would not be reelected and i think that is probably the primary primary way they they continue to maintain power
3: it and it has become highly politicized um people that support gun regulation tend to be coming more from the left and the people that that support the NRA and um, unrestricted uh, gun rights tend to come from the right, but that seems to be changing a little bit, and the and the power that the NRA has over politicians seems to be a little bit in decline. Because for years, um, the NRA would just simply not react to scenes of mass uh, violence and shootings, uh and, and various uh kinds of gun involved crime. Um and and now they seem to be taking a a second look at that.
1: Um Yes Yeah, no? I think <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think maybe my my arc of history is like a uh, it's very long on this one, and so I see uh, I see sort of you know before District of Columbia v. Heller, um, uh, the the 2008 case that enshrined the right to bear the individual right to bear arms in the Constitution, um, I think you saw more bipartisanship and you saw more um, uh, sort of NRA acceptance of certain um, sort of non-radical gun control um, policies, like background checks, universal background checks, and things like that, Um, and and gun-free zones in schools, um, things that are not terribly controversial. You saw more bipartisan support of those. And then I think after District of Columbia versus Heller and after the Second Amendment right, or the individual right to bear arms became a constitutional right. Uh, you actually saw deepening polarization um, and increased partisanship around these issues. I, I In recent years, you, you, do you mean sort of in... in the post-Parkland uh, era where it becomes sort of much harder to ignore these issues? Is that what you're referring that, to? Yeah, that's that's about? what I'm talking about yeah. in the
3: recent years, especially yeah. some of the young people that have come out. And right. they've been, you know, the, the NRA has has been really good at taking on politicians, but taking on young people, it's hard to do that and look good.
1: Right, exactly. And I think that that's one thing that is shifting, um, is that, you know, you have, I mean, there have always been, there have long been youth-led movements, but I think that they are sort of more in the forefront, uh, I think, especially post-Parkland. And I think you're right that it is a lot easier to oppose a political rival than it is to oppose, you know, a 17-year-old who is directly impacted by the problem.
3: And is it the attention that those events get that is uh, chipping away a little bit at the uh, power of the NRA?
1: You know, I mean, I just th- there have been these events for years, and I think you know, starting sort of with Columbine in 1999, um, there 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 have been many many mass shootings uh, that have sort of you know, uh taken center stage in the in in the media. Um but recently I think that you're right that it's sort of the rise of youth led movements um in particular that have changed the narrative a bit.
3: And and they have a, a much louder voice because of frankly social media.
1: Right, right, exactly.
3: It's it's allowed people, I mean, they're, like you said, there have been youth movements before, but they didn't have the the venue, the medium, to reach a lot of people the way they can now.
1: Right. Social media is really a democratizing force in that way.
3: Well, when it's used that way.
1: <laughs>
3: right <laughs> it, it can another it, topic
1: for another day <laughs> yeah it
3: it really is and and that may be coming up here uh, in about uh well a little over a week um when the house decides or when the congress decides uh, whether or not to certify the electoral college result um but but getting back to the, uh, the the Second Amendment, there was something that you said about it being uh, about individual rights under the Second Amendment being codified in the Constitution. Is that through um, just judicial uh, uh, ruling?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have been clear. Um, so the the 2008 case of District of Columbia versus Heller was. You're right, the judicial ruling that interpreted the Second Amendment and said the Second Amendment is and, you know, has always been, or at least, you know, has always been an individual right. And so the argument in that case, um, this is a case coming out of D.C. uh, There was a security guard named Dick Heller who wanted to own a handgun, but there was a ban on handguns in D.C. at the time. Um, And... He sued. He said it violated his individual right under the Second Amendment. And so the argument uh, was, District of Columbia argued, no, this is not an individual right. This doesn't protect you in any way. This is about militias only. Uh, Whereas Dick Heller's uh, lawyer said, no, this amendment is about individual rights. And, you know, surprisingly, even though it was 2008 and it had been, you know, 200 years or so since the amendment was written, there hadn't been a Supreme Court that defended Supreme Court case that definitively settled that debate, um, and you're right that it was the judicial ruling in District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008 that said yes, this is an individual right, and therefore the Constitution protects this.
3: Yeah, and and it, it it basically and and correct me if I if I've got the wrong impression of this, but it sounds like they they took the the amendment the way it was written, the Second Amendment, and said that there were two parts to it there was the reason for it which was Mm -hmm. you know in order to maintain a uh, uh, well-regulated militia um, and the right to bear arms shall not be uh, infringed and it was like the ruling split that in half and says doesn't matter why they did it the right to bear arms exists yeah
1: yeah so justice. Leo wrote the opinion and he referred to those two clauses as the prefatory clause, the first bit about the, the militia, and then the operative clause, the bit about the right. And what he said was, you know, sure the militia might've been one reason why there was a right to bear arms, but there were any number of reasons like self-defense that also existed. And therefore he said it was an, uh, an individual right, not limited to the militia.
3: I, yeah. I thought, I thought I remembered that, that, Scalia was uh, um, high profile in that particular case. Right, right. Um, right
1: he wrote that opinion.
3: The, what is happening now with groups like the one uh, formed by uh, Gabby Giffords and her husband?
1: So um, I think a lot of these groups, uh, they've been raising a lot more money uh, recently. Um, uh, Giffords, Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman from I believe Arizona uh, who um, was shot at a public event uh, founded an organization called Giffords with her husband. There's also um, an organization called Everytown. And these organizations, I think, in conjunction with uh, the, the youth-led movements, like, um, you know, we mentioned the Parkland teens, but there's also a group called the Peace Warriors coming out of Chicago. Um, and I think all these groups uh, are sort of, they, they're, earn, or they're raising and spending more money in more recent years. Um, they're also, like you said, sort of, Commanding attention in ways, and I think especially because there's youth at the forefront, who in ways they haven't in the past. Um, and I think, um, uh, yeah, they're 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 all sort of working to to change um, what they what they see as an imbalance in the the power between gun control organizations and gun rights organizations.
3: Um how do you see this moving forward does it stay contentious or will will we ever go back into one of those those phases where there's bipartisan understanding of w- how the right exists and coexists with reasonable regulation
1: Oh, I wish <laughs> I think that it's actually it's an issue where there is a lot of room for bipartisanship uh if if Congress would take it um you know there are lots of i think uh remedies that that both sides could probably agree on, but like you said, it is um, it's a really partisan issue and Everything seems to be becoming more partisan by the day, not less partisan. Um, and it's hard to see things changing, uh, but I would be happy to be surprised.
3: <laughs> is, is there an example um, that, that relates to gun rights like the one for free speech? You, you know, we 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 have the right to free speech, but we can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Is is there a comparison in the in the gun debate like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. So, the, the, what's interesting about the two thousand eight District of Columbia versus Heller um, uh, case is that there was a paragraph in that opinion where Justice Scalia said, you know just because I'm saying this is an individual right, that doesn't mean it's an absolute right. And there are certain places, like schools or uh, other sensitive areas, where uh, you can ban guns or prohibit guns. Uh, and there are certain you know, groups of people who you can uh, prohibit from owning guns. And so what that's been taken to mean is you know, that you can prohibit people who have committed felonies, for example, from owning guns. Um, And so I think, you know, that certain zones without weapons, uh, certain uh, groups of people who you prohibit from owning weapons, I think all that is sort of like the carve-out that is probably the analog to um, to the the theater.
3: Well, I'll tell you, this is a a fascinating subject. The name of the book is uh, Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns by... uh, Hanna baramaich uh um and and where where are you currently working
1: i'm in new york
3: okay okay and i've I've read in a couple of different uh spots that this is your first book um do you suspect it's the first of many?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm starting on one now um, on the 14th Amendment, sort of similar structurally, you know, history, policy, politics. Um, yeah, and hopefully that'll be out, you know, in the next few years. Well,
3: I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me this morning, uh, Han. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Um, do you have a website for you or the book?
1: Yeah, for me, uh, the book is on there. It's my first name, last name, dot com, hana com. Uh, H-A-N-A-B-A-J-R-A-M-O-V-I-C dot com.
3: Well, Hannah, thanks so much. It was a, a honor and a privilege to meet you and to get a chance to talk with you a little bit.
1: Thanks so much for chatting with me. Your questions are very thoughtful and insightful, and I, I really enjoyed it.
3: Well, thank you. Take care. Oh, and Happy New Year. Okay. You too. All right. Bye-bye. That was uh, Hannah Byronovich. Um She is the author of a new book called uh, Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns. Now, we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in, but then we've got armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour. But in the next segment, we're going to hear some sound bites from... Uh, 2020, the year it was, and then we're going to provide uh, some 2020 hindsight of 2020 uh, through the eyes of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable. We'll have our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left, and longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter, on the right. In the meantime... um, we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 FM, our Voices Radio in Flint, uh squeeze a few words in uh, edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. Um if you're streaming us at tomsumnerprogram.com, we have some messages as well, but stay tuned. You're going to hear uh some sound bites in the, in the next segment that uh well, hopefully we'll uh, suggest that um, COVID-19 was not the only thing that happened in 2020. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you
3: are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home, except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you're worried about your health, Call your doctor.
4: For more tips
5: Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Lifebuoy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Lifebuoy for hands and face as well as the bath. The Time Sumner
4: Program.com The Time Sumner Program.com
5: Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? All right, uh, Jackie, you
4: take it here. Should old
1: acquaintance be forgot and days of holy. All right, uh, Caroline, now you come in.
5: For get it together with vigor. We'll take the half
1: of the kindness yet for
5: all <laughs> Further information of all senators, I'm about to send a resolution to the desk providing for an outline of the next steps in these proceedings. It will be debatable by parties for two hours, equally divided. Senator Schumer will then send an amendment to the resolution to the desk. And so, Mr. Chief Justice, I send a resolution to the desk and ask that it be read.
4: The clerk will read the resolution. The House of Representatives shall make its presentation in support of the articles of impeachment for a period of time not to exceed 24 hours over up to three session days. Following the House of Representatives' presentation, the President shall make his presentation for a period not to exceed 24 hours over up to three session days.
2: Mr. Chief Justice, senators, and counsel for the President, House managers on behalf of the House of Representatives rise in opposition to Leader McConnell's resolution. If the Senate votes to deprive itself of
4: witnesses and documents, the opening statements will be the end of the trial.
3: Is this all in the family thing or or is this something that you had aspired to Cynthia
1: um something I ex- aspire to you know um, I kind of feel like I've been on this road a long time with my husband, starting at um, his civic service to um, city council and then on to state representative, so you know I kind of figure I've been following along with it all these years. And I kind of been in the background, but always been a serving other people. So it's just been something that I've been really looking into doing and now it's the time. I feel like it is my time to step forward.
4: We're moving forward at a pace that was unimaginable just a short time ago and we are never, ever going back. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. calling for bipartisan legislation that achieves the goal of dramatically lowering prescription drug prices get a bill on my desk and i will sign it into law immediately the united states of america should be a sanctuary for law-abiding americans not criminal aliens if you come illegally you will now be promptly removed from our country. This will be a tremendous boon to our already very strongly guarded southern border, where as we speak, a long, tall, and very powerful wall is being built. America's manifest destiny in the stars. I am asking Congress to fully fund the Artemis program to ensure that the next man and the first woman on the moon will be American astronauts using this as a launching pad to ensure... Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you very much.
0: Tonight's speech will be shorter than usual. Believe me, the people of Michigan don't want more ceremony. They want concrete action. And sometimes, they just want concrete.
4: Prayer, planning, and partnership. Together, even six feet apart, anything can be accomplished if we unite our efforts, if we unite our strength, if we unite our thinking. We can win. The state of our city is strong, and we will get stronger the better we work together.
1: Do you take a test every single day? No, no, but I take a lot of tests. Okay, and you don't know if you took a test the day of the debate? Uh, uh,
4: Possibly I did, possibly I didn't. If they vote out before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. Don't voters have a right to know where you they stand? They do have a right to know where I stand, and i will have a right to know where I stand before they vote. So you'll come out with a clear position before Election Day? Yes, depending on how they handle this. We were expected to lose. If you look at the original charts from original doctors who are respected by everybody, 2,200,000 that two people. 2
1: million figure, though, is if you we literally did two nothing. People.
4: We should be thinking about making a well, mandatory. How could you enforce that? Well, you couldn't but you can say you can go to every governor and get them all in a room all 50 of them as president and say ask people to wear the mask
1: QAnon. it is well the american people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country
2: uh, when i look at their plan that talks about Advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine—it um, looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. Well, let's go.
1: So a I have no, but Susan, I, this is important, Susan, I, I, and I, I, I want to add. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to. I'm weigh speaking.
0: In. You can have so 15 I, I, I more wanna... seconds, and then we'll give the Vice President Thank a you. chance. to speak. So
1: respond. I want to ask the American people: How calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? How calm were you when your kids were sent home from school and you didn't know when they could go back? How calm were you?
0: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives.
4: The only reason we're here is to make sure that you got a voice. That's it. There we go. <laughs> think for a second. Don't think for a second that he represents who these cops are from all over the county and around the station. We go out there to help people, not do that nonsense. There we go. I just want to tell you, where's my man? Right there, where's the, where's the gentleman? Oh, I think he's the car. Okay. Yeah, well, man. He took off. Pastor Hawkins, see, I'm just gonna tell you, We want to be with y'all for real. So, I took the helmet off and laid the batons down. I want to make this a parade, not a protest. <laughs> you got other ones here, you got dogs, so, what's well, up? So listen, I'm just telling you, these cops love you. That cop over here hugs people, so. You tell us what you need to
5: do.
4: I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is,
5: I'm against it. No
4: matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it.
5: Your proposition may be good, but let's have
4: one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. (coughs)
3: What do comic books have to do with Susan B. Anthony, Stormy Daniels, and Congressman John Lewis? Find out New Year's Eve 2020 on the Tom Sumner program. Author Mark Shulman talks about comic book biographies of Walt Disney and Susan B. Anthony. The creative team from Tidal Wave Productions talk about a new comic book series called Stormy Daniels Space Force. Plus former congressional aide Andrew Aiden talks about developing a three-part comic book series about the civil rights movement called March with Congressman John Lewis. The Tom Sumner Program continues our look back at 2020 with comic books for New Year's Eve, streaming live from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Simulcast on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. Happy New Year from the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Should old acquaintance be I've brought you mine.
4: My... All right, uh, Jackie, you take it here. Should all the plaintiffs ah. be and taste of holy love. All right, uh, Caroline, now you come in. For now. The Tom's Summer Program